It's Tuesday, August 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Uncle Joe Mager. Gentlemen, good to How see you. How you doing, Chris? Hello. Ron Gross, in the house from Market Hello. Foolery. It's been a while. Well, happy to be here. It's good to see you. Uh, we are going to step back from the day's news and dip into the full mailbag. We've got a lot of great emails that have piled up, so we figured we would dig into a few of them. And of course, you can always email us. Radio at Fool.com is the way to get a hold of us. From Jonathan Sanders in Birmingham, Alabama. He writes, I saw this news story and thought maybe you guys could briefly discuss it. And he sent us a link to a story from earlier in August that Facebook had confirmed four high-ranking managers had resigned from the company. And it was, Ron, essentially raising questions of, is there now a brain drain, the proverbial (laughs) brain drain going on at Facebook uh, we've seen this kind of question raised in the past with other companies. Right. First, in terms of Facebook, what did you think of the story? Yeah, there, there's definitely some exits um, of important key people. You know, you're going to see that, unfortunately, I guess we'll say, um, especially in tech, where you have very creative, ambitious people. Um, you like and, to and, get rich and, on and stock I was gonna say, I was, IPOs. I, was, I was about to say, and it doesn't hurt if you've made a boatload of money. A boatload of money gives you a lot of freedom to try different things, go out on a limb, try your own thing. And these are very creative and talented people who have the desire to, to move on and, and try something new. And a lot of cash in your pocket makes it possible. So, I mean, it's inevitable in a lot of circumstances. And Joe, what do you think when you see stories like this, about whether it's, you know, whether it's about a Facebook, which is obviously a recent IPO, or a more established company, does that, as an investor, does that raise a red flag for you? Do you, do you, you, know, do you look at that and sort of go, wow, what's, is there, do they know something that I, as an investor, don't know, and, and maybe I should heed the warning? Yeah, it's a red flag. The, the higher level the person who goes, the more concerned I am. Uh, the one that always spooks me is the CFO departure when there's right. not, when you don't know where he's going and he's leaving because the CFO is the money man who has his finger on the pulse of the cash flowing in and out of the business. And of all the people there, probably has the best understanding of its value. So anytime someone leaves, especially unexpectedly, that definitely raises for red And I should point out, with this, just with this story, this Facebook story, we're not talking executive le- level. No. We're not talking CFO. It's more people who are directing, right. you know, director of mobile platform, you know, that level. What you will see often, and I don't think it's that worrisome, is a, a visionary, an entrepreneur who doesn't necessarily make a good everyday CEO, move aside, bring in a professional CEO, and kick himself up to chairman or something like that. I think that's sometimes actually appropriate um, and good for the company and, and not a, a red flag. From Troy Adamson in Vancouver, British Columbia, he writes, Years ago, I quit buying mutual funds and ventured out into buying mostly dividend-paying blue-chip stocks. I'm currently reading Fundamental Analysis for Dummies, and I'm feeling overwhelmed with the endless calculations that it is explaining. I listen to your podcasts, read financial websites, and understand the basics of the different ratios listed on a stock summary. My question is, before purchasing a stock, what is the minimum amount of analysis a responsible investor should perform? Well, I, I mean, nothing b- like some good light reading I, for the summer. Yeah. Exactly. Well, before I kick it to you, Joe, I, I just like that uh, Troy is including listening to our podcast as part of being a responsible Step investor. Step one. Very nice. <laughs> Thank you, Troy. <laughs> Um, what do you think when it comes to performing analysis? What's what's sort of the minimum that uh, people out there should be doing? You know, a lot of people have different opinions on this. Mike Olson, my buddy and podmate here at The Fool, would probably spend about three times as much 
time on a stock. That's why we do. keep him in his pod. <laughs> um, and I love Mike, but we just have different opinions on this. I, I tend to focus on trying to figure out what are the top couple variables that I need to know about at a business. And you get there by learning about the company and looking at the financials. And, you know, if you're an everyday investor, it's pretty easy to go visit a company's website. You get a good feel for company, the products, its services, its people. Read about the management team. Look at the investor presentations. Uh, you can get a good feel for how salesy a management team is by the tone of their investor presentations. Uh, read the 10Ks. Read conference call transcripts. And that's enough to give you a good feel. But... <laughs> You know, at some point, you do just have to make a decision, and I think it's very possible to overthink investment opportunities sometimes, and especially when you're a new investor, you want to balance doing your homework with actually getting in the market. Ron, what do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think it depends uh, what waters you fish in. And I think for the individual investor who's not going for some outside help or outside research, if you stick with companies that are commonly accepted as very well-run companies, uh, you know, the, the best companies we have uh, here in America and abroad even, um, you could probably do do a good, nice job in several hours. Um, read the annual report. Take a look at the website. Make sure it's the kind of company that you personally want to be an owner of for the long term, not for a couple of weeks. Um, and then, if you want to dig into some valuation, you can just you, you can use some ratios, some PE ratios, maybe a cash flow ratio or two, um, to get some comfort. But just understand how the business makes money, and be sure that you're comfortable being an owner. Yeah, and just to add to that, maybe I should have started with this. Don't feel like you have to go for the most complex ideas either. Yeah. I mean, just look around you. And one thing I've actually done before is I'll sit down with a piece of paper and write down all the brands that I really like or products I use regularly. And then I'll just look upstream and see what companies own those and dig into them. So it's very simple, but there's a there's some wisdom in not necessarily buying what you know, but starting with that. Well, and I, I find in my own experience that the more I understand a company, the better I just feel. Whether or not that stock is doing well, I've actually had experiences where I invested in a small biotech. I ended up selling it at a gain, which was nice, but the main reason I sold it was because I just I couldn't live with the fact that I really had no idea what in the hell this company right. was doing. Sleeping at night is not overrated. <laughs> um, you want to own things that you're comfortable in and you know where your money is being allocated. I like my money. I assume our, <laughs> our, our listeners do as well. And so that's really important. Uh, just to wrap up on this question, and we've talked before about sort of our own respective circles of competence. And you guys have said, and others have said on this show, that there are industries that they you just won't invest in because you just don't feel like you have an advantage. Uh, I'm not. I, I don't want to go so far into that territory. But when it comes to Troy's question about the amount of research and analysis you do, do you find that if it is an industry or a company that is maybe one half step out of your circle of competence, do you do the same amount, or do you double down and say, no, I really need to do more than I usually do because of the industry or company I'm dealing with here? Well. Unfortunately, there's only a few publicly traded pizza companies, and so there's my circle of confidence. Um, so r once we get past pizza, um, no, I, listen, there are certain things, like I know Joe will go, go look at big banks. I tend to stay away from them because they're out of my circle of confidence. Biotech, as you said, is out of my circle of confidence. But a lot of other things, even though they're difficult, if you spend some time, you mm -hmm. can get through them. Um, and you'd miss a lot of opportunities if, if you didn't try. Is it safe to say that if we ever see a publicly traded chili company, <laughs> that you're going to be the first in. in line to buy on them? I'm in. Uh, email from Pat Odom in Charleston, South Carolina. He writes, I have a small position 
in Lincoln National Corporation. That's the life insurance company, ticker symbol LNC. I'm trying to figure out if I should be buying more from a valuation perspective. It has a price-to-earnings growth ratio of 0.56, price-to-book ratio of 0.42, and a price-to-sales ratio of 0.52. That's a lot of numbers, Joe. Uh, He goes on to write, can you explain to me what a value trap is, and do you think Lincoln National Corporation is a value trap? Well, Ron can talk to you about value traps. (laughs) How dare you? Uh, With Lincoln, I, I can't say I know the story all that well. But I can say when you're thinking about valuing financial companies, including insurers, you want to be thinking along the lines of book value instead of sales or even earnings. So you may want to go back and look at how the stock is traded against its book value on a price-to-book basis over a long time horizon, (laughs) but also how it does against its peers, too, to give you a little bit of context of the market's opinion of the stock today. And big picture, I think insurers are pretty cheap, and there are a lot of good values out there. Uh, Markel is one of my favorites, and so is Berkshire. Ron? Yeah, so with respect to value traps, for our, our deep value service here at The Fool, I'm constantly like looking at companies that are either potential value opportunities and value traps, and it's one of my key jobs is to differentiate between the two. Um, often when you, we say a company is in cheap, and I'm doing air quotes here around the cheap, um, that's because something is wrong with the company. Um, if it's a short-term fixable problem, then that's an opportunity. Okay. If it's a persistent or a problem that really gets to the heart of the company, that's where you could get yourself into trouble and you found yourself a value trap. Uh, let's use Radio Shack as, a, as an example. Is it an opportunity because the stock is now trading at a discount to book value and is cheap on a number of metrics? Or is this business fundamentally broken and the world actually does not no longer needs Radio Shack as a business? You know, and that's what we need to dig in and, and understand. Before, What's the before answer? <laughs> I've stayed away from it because I think it, it's perpetually in trouble. I think the calculator market market has a bright future. Pat goes on to write. Uh, my other question is: What is your favorite master limited partnership, and why? Um, <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't. I don't. Ron, you love have, pipes. I don't. Yeah, pipeline companies are typically the, the master limited partnership business model. What um, am I getting from an MLP that I'm not getting typic- from a, a typical you're, you're getting stock? A, uh, so MLPs at the corporate level, or I should say, the partnership level, because their partnerships do not pay taxes, so they have more money available to pass on to their shareholders or unit holders um, in the form of dividends. So you're typically getting a higher dividend. Um, And as I said, you have to meet certain criteria, and one of those criteria would be in the natural resource energy um, area to qualify as as an MLP. So there's a company like One Oak, uh, which is OKS, or New Star, and SHS. Uh, Kinder Morgan's a holding company um, for some two MLPs. KMI is the ticker there. Um, And they all pay some nice dividends. Joe, are you an MLP investor at all, or is that just something that it's you feel like you don't have an advantage and you stay away? I'm not right now. I've owned Kinder Morgan in the past, and it treated me pretty well. Like some great capital allocators at the top there. The reason I'm not into MLPs these days is that a lot of people are chasing yield, and I think the value or the price of a lot of these MLPs has been bid up. So they don't <clears throat> strike me as a very good overall total return prospect, even though the yields are nice. And the second thing is tax issues are different with MLPs than they are with regular dividends. So you're going to be paying higher taxes on that amount of income. And to be honest, it's a little bit of a headache 
tax-wise, uh, you have to deal with K-1s, exactly. yep. which is a different filing. And honestly, when you throw in those extra little complications, plus that I don't think they're very cheap today, it's not something I'm willing to deal with. And I would now. avoid them in IRAs or tax-deferred accounts yeah. because it creates some complications from a tax perspective. All right, keep the emails coming. Radio at fool.com is the way to get a hold of us. Uh, we are taking a break for the rest of the week. We are off until after Labor Day. We actually got a comment on Twitter recently where one of our <laughs> listeners said, hey, has Market Foolery turned into a Monday through Wednesday podcast? And I just said, no. We're just, it's it's August. the Howard Stern model. It's we just August. Three shows we're just away. taking a couple of days off here and there, but <laughs> we will be back in full force after Labor Day. Labor Day weekend plans, Joe Maker? What do you got? Not a whole lot. Just laying low. Ron, yeah. what about you? Fantasy football draft with my son, so got a lot of work to do there. What is the name of your fantasy football team? The New York Blur. The New York Blur. Yes. I like that. I'm on a team. We have our draft later in the week. Uh, the name that we're going with right now is God Cannot Protect You. <laughs> so we'll see, we'll see if we wow. keep that name. Uh, Joe Mager, Ron Gross, guys, thanks for being thanks, here. Cheers. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Fully. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you after Labor Day. <laughs>